Our second Bible reading today is taken from the Epistle of James, reading in chapter 5 and from verses 7 to 11. And the section is titled, Patience in Suffering. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. To God be the glory. Well, um, could I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to James chapter 5? And I'll pretty much work through those five verses. But let's turn to God and ask for his help that we might understand this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who did not remain silent, but have spoken to us clearly through your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we come to your word, that we might hear you speak to us and that we might receive your words as it really is, the word of God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the question we'll be looking at today is, why does God allow suffering? Now, this is a huge question that I'm sure all of us will ask at some stage in our life. Why does God allow suffering? It's all around us. We see suffering and we experience suffering. So why does God allow suffering? Now, I remember this time about two and a half years ago, it's still very vivid in my mind, I was catching the train in Sydney, going to college, and I noticed something while sitting there in the train that's, that really disturbed me, something that really distressed me. In front of me, in the aisle of the train, was this little girl, beautiful girl. She was probably only about two years old. Beautiful girl. She was eating her banana, very happy. But what distressed me, what sort of churned my heart a bit, was when I noticed that she had no fingers. She was only two years old, no fingers. Her hands were deformed. Most likely she was born that way. And so I was thinking, this is not right. And I was wondering why it distressed me so much. And I suspect that because at that time I already had a daughter of my own, Esther. She was only a bit older than this little girl I witnessed there. And so that distressed me. But she didn't seem bothered by it at all. This little girl, beautiful little girl, she was quite happy eating her banana. She managed to finish her banana even without any fingers. Didn't bother her at all. And so I saw her joy, saw her happiness, and that in a sense made me quite happy. But yet, deep down, my heart was in pain. Because I was thinking, will her joy continue? Will her happiness continue? 
When she goes to school, will she have any friends? When she becomes a teenager, will she be accepted? When she becomes an adult, will she get married? What will her life look like? Will her joy now, there in the train, continue for the rest of her life? And so I thought in my mind, this is not right. This is not right. This little girl, beautiful little girl, born without fingers. Why does God allow suffering? Now remember, that was the very question I was asked only several weeks before that incident. Several weeks before that, I went on a college mission south of Sydney in a church. We served the church for one whole week and I was billeted to a family, an Indian family, wonderful Indian family. I still remember they fed me a different type of curry each night. didn't know there were that many variety of curry. And I still remember seeing her pantry, all these dozens of spices neatly laid out, dozens of spices. I, I know my pantry is just dozens of different chocolate bars and chocolate brands. But staying with this family, this question was brought to me. Why does God allow suffering? And the billet, the, the mother there, she asked me, why does God allow suffering? And why do Christians suffer? She told me about her story, about her family. She shared about her time back in India. She had a sister who committed suicide. The stress was too much for her. The pressure living in India was too much. And she shared about her brother, the only son in the family, the one who carried the family name. Well, he died in a motorbike accident. And she told me this with tears in her eyes, that her father would blame her mother for buying that motorbike for their only son, that killed their son. And so she was hurting inside. She was in pain. There were tears in her eyes. And so she asked me, why does God allow suffering? even to Christians, because her parents, you see, were godly Christians. They loved Jesus, and they brought up their children to love Jesus. Why does God allow suffering, even to Christians? And so that's my question to you today. Why does God allow suffering, even to us, who are his followers, who love him? Well, you see, our passage today, James chapter 5, helps us to think about this, helps us to think about this difficult issue. I mean, we we experience suffering, it's pain, it's hurtful, it's tough, but yet James speaks to this situation and he gives us, quite simply, only two commands. Two commands and two examples. Two commands and two examples. So let's look at our Bible, verse 7. So what's the first command? The first command from James that speaks into a a situation of pain and suffering is to be patient. Patient. While I'm suffering, that doesn't make sense. When I'm in pain, when I'm hurtful, uh, in in hurt, when it's a tough situation, that's really the last thing I want to think about, be patient. I want to get that resolved. I want to sort it out. To be patient. Now, why would James command such a thing in a situation like that, to be patient? Well, he tells us here that the Lord is coming. That's the reason. The Lord is returning. So look at verse 7 with me. He says, Be patient patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. You see, James doesn't say here, Be patient because 
you're hopeless anyway. James doesn't say, be patient because you can't do anything about it. No, he says here, be patient because the Lord is coming. And the return of the Lord Jesus is what we're all looking forward to, isn't it? It should be. That is the day we should all be looking forward to because that day, when that day comes, that's when all suffering will end. All our suffering will end. All our physical pain, the chronic back pain, even the cancer that some of us have or might get, all that will end. The relationship stresses, the broken relationship with friends and family, that will end. The the internal struggle, the battle with sin, trying to get rid of that sin that we find so hard to get rid of, that will end. And not only the, the, the suffering that we experience, but the suffering around us, around the world, the wars, the battle, the hatred, all that will end when that day comes. And so that is the reason why James says here, be patient. Be patient. Now, if we consider the life of the Apostle Paul himself, just consider his life, a life full of suffering. Went around proclaiming Christ, and for that he was beaten to the point of death many times. He was thrown into jail. And at the end of his life, well, he was executed. He was beheaded for his faith in Christ. A man who suffered so much, so much. But look at what he says in the midst of his struggles and suffering. He says this, Romans 8, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, Paul knew, even though he was going through all those hard times, that this is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. And so Paul was patient. Paul was patient. Now, in our text, James gives us an illustration of what patience looks like. Now, in our text, he talks about a farmer. Now, a Palestinian farmer, or just like really any farmer, they depend on the rain, on the rain to come. And so a farmer would depend on the rain in, in autumn to germinate the seeds that are sown. And a farmer would wait patiently for the rain in spring. That would help these seeds grow into a, a crop. And so James is showing here what patience look like. A farmer will not just sow the seed, wait a week and say, where's my crop? Where's my crop? There's no crop. I'm giving up farming. That's not a farmer, is it? A farmer is patient. A farmer, a farmer needs to uh, wait and persevere and wait for the autumn rain and the spring rain because in the end, there will be a crop. It will be worthwhile. And so this is what we read, verse 7, the second half. James says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rain. You see, our patience need to be like that of a farmer, waiting, because in the end, it will be worthwhile. And so James, he commands us again. He repeats it, verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So that's the first command. And if you think about it, it sounds so profound. The hard times, the suffering, the hurt, but yet the command is to be patient. Sounds so strange, but that is it. Now he gives another command, verse 9. 
He says, don't grumble against each other. Don't grumble. And that's because when we're hurting, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, the temptation, the tendency is that we'll grumble, we'll be bitter, we'll we'll let it out to anyone around us, we'll let them know, we'll let God know, we'll let God know that we're bitter and we're grumbling. And so James is saying, don't grumble. Now this should remind us of God's people, the Israelites. As soon as they were saved from slavery, brought out of Egypt with the powerful hand of God through the Red Sea, they're safe. They're out of slavery. But what do they do? There's no food. They grumble. No water. They grumble. No meat. They grumble against God after seeing all that God has done. And so James is saying, don't be like them. Do not grumble. You see, if the Israelites were patient, if they trusted God, then they would have seen that the blessing was to come. The promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so James is saying here, don't grumble. In the midst of suffering, don't grumble. And what's his reason? Well, again, it feels so unnatural, doesn't it, to not to grumble. When I'm hurt, when I'm suffering, I want to grumble. I want to let people know. I want to let God know that I'm bitter and I'm angry. But James gives the same reason as before. Why not grumble? Well, he says, it's because the Lord is near. And this Lord who is near is the judge. He's just at the door. Look at verse 9. He says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. See, I want us to think about this. The judge is standing at the door. The Lord is near. And so when that door opens, and when, when the Lord Jesus looks at you, and when the Lord Jesus looks at me, what will he see? Will he see a people who are bitter and grumbling and untrusting? Or will he see are people who are patient, who are enduring this suffering, who are persevering through it in hope. And then when that door opens, who will we see? You see, we can see Jesus as our saviour who will call us home. Or we might see, if we're one of the grumblers, we're going to see not the saviour but the judge. The judge. So these are the two commands. And I still find it so profound. Such complex situations that we might be going through. The tough times. The hurt. But yet two simple commands. Be patient and don't grumble. And the reason? Well, the Lord is near. The Lord is coming back soon. Now listening to this, some of us might be thinking, now this is just doesn't make sense. James, see, he must be drinking something funny. Simple commands for such complex situations just doesn't make sense. But then James goes on to give us two examples. Two examples of people who have persevered, who have endured through suffering. And first of those are the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Now, the Old Testament are littered with prophets who suffered. They went out speaking in God's, in the name of God, 
speaking a word of judgment, and people didn't want to hear that. And so many of the prophets suffered because of that. Isaiah, he was cut in two by the king of Judah. Micah, he was killed at the hand of the king of Israel. Amos, he was tortured and he was executed. Elijah, he was hunted down for his life. And Jeremiah, well, his life was tough. So tough and hurtful that he went on to say this. He went on to say, Curse be the day I was born. Curse that day when I was born from my mother. Because he endured so much. And in the end, Jeremiah, he was even stoned to death. And so that's the example that James uses here. Though these prophets went through so much, they persevered. They endured through all those sufferings. And they are considered blessed. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. So that's the first example James gives us. And he gives us another one, the example of Job. Our first reading, the example of Job. Now Job, his life really takes the cake for suffering, doesn't it? At a blink of an eye, he lost everything. His servants were massacred. His children, they died in a natural disaster. And he was inflicted with these painful sores. No fault of his own. And he suffered all those things. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. But Job, he persevered. He didn't understand why God did what he did, why God allowed what he did. But he persevered. He never gave up hope that God is the God of compassion, that God is the God of mercy. And so he persevered. He was bitter, but he persevered, holding out hope that this God is the God of compassion. And at the end of his life, what we heard in our first reading, at the end of his life, he was blessed, wasn't he? Blessed with great wealth and another seven sons and another three daughters, supermodel daughters apparently. And we see this, verse 11. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so that's our passage, five verses. It's profound, I think, in our tough times, hurtful times, painful times, only two simple commands. Be patient and don't grumble. And why? For the Lord is near. That is the reason that we should persevere. That is the reason why we should be patient. And that is the reason why we should not grumble. But suffering is a fact of life, isn't it? If we haven't experienced much yet, the, the reality is that we will. Now, those going through exams at the moment, you might consider that that is tough, and it is. It is suffering, doing all those studies and exams. But things will get harder. Things will get harder. And that's the reality of living in this fallen world, a world filled with sin. Bad things happen. And bad things happen to Christians as well. You see, Christians are not immune to suffering. If we became a Christian thinking that our suffering will completely disappear, 
Well, you've been fooled. Being a Christian, we're not immune to suffering. You see, the natural disasters, the tsunamis, the, the hurricanes that kill non-Christians, well, those same disasters kill Christians as well. The car accidents that kill non-Christians, they kill Christians as well. The cancer that strikes down non-Christians, they strike down Christians as well. We're not immune to suffering. The financial problems, relationship problems, computer problems, we're not immune. And these are, these are the experiences of life. But the fact is, being a Christian should in fact mean we suffer more. We're more likely to suffer, not less. Now if we remember the words of Jesus, this is true. Jesus says, we do not belong in this world. And because we don't belong in this world, this world will hate us. And because of that, we will suffer more. And Jesus says, just as the world persecuted and crucified our Lord, the world will also persecute us because we bear the name of Christ. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean we suffer less. In fact, it means we suffer more. We just need to consider the example of the apostles. Out of all the apostles, all were martyred. The only apostle that survived to old age was John, uh, the apostle John. You see, James, the brother of Jesus, he was thrown down from the temple tower. He was clubbed to death. Thomas, he was lanced and he was burnt. Matthew, he was axed to death. Andrew, Philip, Jude and Simon, they were crucified. Peter and Bartholomew, they were crucified upside down. And then James, Matthias and Paul, well, they were beheaded. Only John lived to an old age. Now, we might never experience those type of extremes, but Christians still do today. Christians still do. They are still killed for their faith in Christ. But you see, suffering is a part of life. And as Christians, we are not immune. So what are we to do? Well, I hope it's clear from our passage. In all this tough time and suffering and hurt, two simple commands. Be patient and don't grumble. And we can see our whole life, the life that God gives us, as one long, huge, big pregnancy. Now, apparently, being pregnant, it's not very pleasant. That's what Yvonne's told me, it's not very pleasant. Um, you get morning sickness, um, you, your smell goes a bit funny, you have weird cravings, you're fatigued, you're tired, you get bigger, heavier and fatter. It's not very pleasant. And apparently the birth itself is not very pleasant as well. It's a, quite painful. The baby doesn't just slide out, it squeezes its way and it's painful. And so if we are to think our life as one long, big pregnancy, both blokes and ladies... One long, big pregnancy. Then what can we do? We could be impatient. At 20 weeks' time, we physically try to force this baby out. We're impatient. We want it out. At 30 weeks' time, we could jump on the trampoline to encourage it, make it faster. We could be impatient. Or we could grumble, can't we? We can grumble to God. God, why do you give me a body like this? It's bigger than it was. I'm carrying more burden around. Why, God, do you make me like this? I'm always hungry. I walk funny. 
Or we could just be patient. Or we could just not grumble. Because at the end of those 40 weeks, when the baby is finally born, when the baby is finally in our arms, you'll realise those 40 weeks of hard pain, suffering, was all worthwhile in the end. Didn't need to rush things. Didn't have to grumble. By the end, when that baby is in our arms, we can see that that whole process, that whole pregnancy, was all worthwhile. And so, no matter what you're going through, it's something I need to constantly remind myself as well. No matter what we go through in this life, and I do know that some of us are going through some really tough times at the moment. No matter what we're going through, how much it hurts, how much it just doesn't make sense, Two simple commands. Be patient and not grumble because the Lord is near. And when that day comes, it's like when the baby is out. A day of joy over over the moon because the Lord has returned. So now thinking about the question I asked you at the beginning. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow Christians to suffer? Why was that girl, that two-year-old girl, born without fingers? Why was that sister and the brother of that billet of mine, why did they die in that way? How can we answer that? Well, I think, in a sense, we can't. Just like Job, we don't exactly know why these things happen. We don't know why. We don't, in fact, know the mind of God. These things are hidden in the mind of God. But there is something we do know. And what we do know is enough for us. And what we do know is that Jesus will return soon. The Lord is near. The judge is at the door. And knowing that should be enough for us to persevere, to be patient and to not grumble. Now, in our passage, James gave us two great examples, the prophets and Job. Well, in now giving you another example, a more recent example of someone who endured so much but persevered through it all. Now, this was Frances Jane Crosby. There's a picture of her, normally known as Fanny Crosby, one of the greatest hymn writers of all times. She was born in 1820, died in 1915, so she lived to 95 years of age. And over those 95 years, she wrote over 8,000 hymns. 8,000 hymns. Put that in perspective, that's two hymns every week of her life. Two hymns every week. I'm not sure if I'll write even one hymn in my whole life, but her, two weeks, uh, two hymns every week of her life. She wrote so many, people didn't believe that she wrote that many, and so she had many pseudonyms. And I've noticed that in our Rejoice book, it's, the, it's not credited, one of her songs, not credited to her, Frances Crosby, is one of her pseudonyms. But she wrote hymns that we would all know and love. Blessed assurance, safe in the arms of Jesus, to God be the glory. Now what's remarkable about her? was that she was blinded from infancy. Now, she was born in New York to poor parents, very poor parents, and at just six weeks of age, 
she caught a cold and her eyes got inflamed. And so her parents went out looking for their family doctor. But he wasn't around, so they found another doctor. And that doctor came, looked at her, and that doctor recommended mustard plasters, that that was the treatment. Now, if you know something about mustard plasters, that's something that burns, even burns the skin. But that was the treatment for her eyes, for her inflamed eyes. So you can just imagine, she was blinded from that point on at six weeks of age. They later found out that that was a fake doctor. It wasn't really a doctor at all. Just imagine that. Losing your sight, six weeks of age, because of some dodgy fake doctor. Wouldn't that make you bitter? Wouldn't that just make you furious? But that was not all. Not all the woes of Fanny Crosby. Her father died only a few months later. Her mother was forced to work. They were very poor. Her mother was forced to work as a maid in some other city. And so she was brought up by her grandmother. And so her early years would have been tough, painful, hurtful. But was she bitter? Well, look at this poem she wrote. Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people's don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Now, do you know how old she was when she wrote this? Eight years old. Eight years old. A time of so much hurt and pain, but yet these are the words that came from her mouth. When I was eight, I probably was nothing like this. I was probably doing maths or something, but no poetry. But then later on in life, much later in life when she became famous in America, for all the hymns she wrote, a preacher said to her, asked her, I think it a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. And she quickly replied to this preacher, do you know that if at birth I have been given one petition, but that would be that I should be born blind? Now the preacher was confused. He asked her why? And this is her answer. Because when I go to heaven, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall gladden my eyes shall be that of my master. Her petition would be that she will be born, she will born, be born blind because the first thing she see, the first person she will see is that of Jesus. This was one lady who suffered so much, blinded from birth, grew up not knowing her father and later on in life she had her own daughter but even her daughter died in infancy. She had every right to be angry, every right to be bitter with God, every right to be angry with everyone around her. But she wasn't. Didn't grumble. She was patient. She persevered, enduring all that she suffered. Because one day she knew she will see Jesus. And her hymns are a testament to her faith in God her trust in Jesus. I want you to listen to one of the hymns she wrote. To God be the glory. This is the last verse. Great things he has taught us. 
great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Let's pray.